Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are Knee Deep in Tech and we are live again from Ignite in Orlando. It is Tuesday, the 25th of September. Yeah, it's September. It is You're September. Right I have a funny way of just always getting the month wrong. But this time, I had the right month. Yes, a slow clap. <laughs> Thank you very much. We have a guest today. We have. Yes. So who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Can I make up a name? <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm Andy Sturwich. So I'm a uh, Microsoft MVP and good friend of you guys. And uh, I also work for Altera Software as a tech evangelist. Yep. And in what area are you an MVP? So I'm a cloud and data center management MVP. Yep. Um, prior to that, before they um, made the larger competency groups, I was originally a Hyper-V MVP. Okay. So that takes me back a few years. Yep. And starting off with, what does Altaro do? So Altaro is a backup vendor. So we do, uh, you know, virtual machine backup for Hyper-V, VMware. And we kind of focus on the SMB, the mid-market, and for MSPs that operate in that space. Yeah, and in your role as an evangelist, what do you do? It's all about content. Yep. So uh, at Altero, we, you know, our marketing strategy is soft marketing. So we don't knock on people's doors. You know, we don't hassle people with cold calls and say, hey, buy our stuff. Um, it's all s soft marketing via content. Yep. And um, really good, solid community content that helps people do their jobs as an IT pro. And that's where you come in with evangelizing? That's correct. That's correct. Yep. So, um, you know, I don't write as much content out on our blog platforms as I used to because um, I've started becoming more of a, I've, I've been into more of an editorial role now mm -hmm. where I manage teams of authors and I say, hey, you know, go write about that. You go write about that. Let's, you know, let's make sure we cover this feature here and let's make sure we talk about this, uh, this cool little hack over here, you know, kind of control the, the content direction. But, you know, I still try to get some, some articles out and especially at events like this, Microsoft Ignite, you know, I, I, like you guys, I bring my recording rig and <laughs> make sure we talk to some industry experts and get some, some great video content out of it as well. Yeah. So do you prefer videos over audio? You know, I really like both mediums. Mm -hmm. You know, I've uh, you know I've recently started a podcast myself with uh, another Microsoft MVP, Rob Cordini. Ours is called the uh, MVP IT Pro Podcast. Right. Um, you know, it's got a video aspect to it, but I mean, really, it's just, you know, people staring at us while we talk, <laughs> you know? And I mean, it'd be just as valuable if, if it was audio. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I find both mediums really interesting. Because there's times where I just want to listen, right? right. I don't want to have my eyes glued to a screen. Maybe I'm working on something else. You know, I just want to listen to the feed. So, you know, I, I, I think there's room for both mediums, and there's a different niche for both mediums. Mm. Definitely. Um, and you're here today to talk about not just Azure. We are going to talk about a lot of things surrounding that as well. So during the keynotes yesterday, what were your prime takeaways? So my major takeaways from the keynote yesterday, or keynotes, yep. I guess I should say, um, I really found it interesting. So in previous years at Ignite, you know, they've, they've had the vision keynote before. Um, they didn't always call it that, but what I really felt like in previous years was, you know, the vision, quote unquote, would kind of become diluted by the technical announcements, mm -hmm. yeah. which this year I feel like they did a really good job of, okay, Let's keep the announcements for the smaller breakout keynotes. You know, the, so I went to the one with Scott Guthrie, yep. um, where they talked about you know Azure mainly, 
But what that did is it, it left the vision keynote with Satya, it left them able to just talk about their vision, which I feel like they really did a good job of. You know, they still got the, the mission statement they've had for the last, you know, the, the recent past that I can remember of mm. empowering yeah. people and organizations on the planet to achieve more, which it's a really strong message. Um, you know, I think I tweeted during the keynote that that's kind of my North Star because, yeah. I mean, you know, I talk to IT pros in the industry and you, know, you talk to the IT pros that they just... Oh, it's a slog. You know, I, I have to go to I have to go to work every day, and oh, you know, this workstation's broken. I got to fix it, and all oh, this server is acting up. They they fall into that routine of oh, I'm just fixing computers, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. I mean, really, when you think about what we do as IT, we do so much more. We enable other people to do amazing things, yeah. and I think. That message came out really strongly at the Vision Keynote, especially with all the different use cases they were talking about. Um, and then I think it really culminated at the end where they started talking about um, AI for humanitarian aid. So we heard about AI a lot during the keynote, yep. right? And um, now they're kind of going philanthropic with it mm. in that, you know, using the power of AI to kind of fix some of those worst issues that we have in the world today. And I really found that really kind of a, a powerful, inspiring message. So. Yep. Um, and then I, I think it worked really well then to follow that up with the more, you know, focused, these are our announcement type of keynotes. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I attended the one with Scott Guthrie where they talked about, uh, you know, all the Azure stuff. They talked about, uh, you know, Windows Server 2019 yep. going GA. Um, and there was a lot of great announcements there. And I think some of my favorite uh, announcements there were, one, Windows Server 2019. I yep. mean... You know, I do a lot with the cloud. I'm, I'm starting to move more into the cloud and more into a container uh, route with my career personally. But, I mean, I bet my career on Windows Server yeah. 15, 16 years ago. I mean, I remember cutting my teeth on Windows Server 2000, you know, a long, long time ago, uh, running uh, workstations, uh, Windows 98 SE on, on the network. You know, I mean, that's, that's really when I got started. Yeah. And... I've been with every iteration of server since then. So, you know, I'm always excited when there's a new version of Windows Server coming out. And, you know, they, they really knocked it out of the park with this version. Yeah, and are there anything in particular in Server 2019 that you feel passionate about, that this is the change or the feature that will get people on it? Yeah, definitely. So I think the big thing, and it kind of falls into the purview of Server 2019, but really it's kind of a separate thing, I guess you could argue, and that's Windows Admin Center. Yep. And... Windows Admin Center, to me, is the next generation management tool for Windows. And I mean, you think about how we've managed Windows for know, the last, again, 15, 16 yep. years, dating myself a little bit here, but we've been using MMC for how long? Forever and ever and ever. And it really hasn't changed that much in that time, right? You know, the, the user experience has been largely the same, but now with Windows Admin Center, we have you know, more data, more performance, usage statistics readily at our, f our fingertips, especially with things like System Insights. So System Insights was recently announced as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And, um, yeah, I, I think the, the cool thing about uh, Windows Admin Center is just its ease of use and really the visualization aspect of it. So kind of a personal story, I um, recently rebuilt my lab at home. Um, so... Previously, it was uh, I was running ESXi and a, v, a vSphere yep. cluster there um, because you know our product we support both VMware yep. and Hyper-V. 
So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and install Windows Server 2016 on there. That way when 2019 comes out, you know, I can demo the rolling yep. release upgrade, that whole process of going from 2016 to 2019. And... So I got uh, Hyper-V installed on uh, both of my nodes. I installed Server Core on both of my nodes. And, you know, I've got one gig NICs. You know, I'm not running anything super fancy like 10 gig infrastructure or anything. I wish I was, but, you know, that whole uh, budget thing for the yeah. home lab comes into the equation <laughs> there, right? And so I know that VMQ is going to be an issue with one gig NICs, right? So, you know, I'm getting out, uh, you know, the PowerShell, and I'm changing the advanced NIC settings, and, you know, I set up jumbo frames on my switch and my, my NICs, and, you know, doing all the things I know I'm going to have to do to make sure that, you know, the storage fabric plays yep. nicely, right? Well, I'm like, okay, I'm all set. You know, let's start firing up some VMs here, and, boy, these things are really slow. What is going on, you know? I'm getting like, oh, wow, look, I have, you know, a, uh, a really, really large storage queue. Oh, I have like, you know, 300 millisecond latency on my storage network. Like, you know, what's <laughs> going on? And um, I don't remember exactly what the issue was. Um, actually, I think I had uh, made a typo when I was configuring uh. jumbo frames on the switch ports. Oops. Oops, yeah. You know, it's funny. Computers do exactly what you tell <laughs> yes. them to do. Um, but uh, what helped me diagnose that issue was Windows Admin Center because I'm running core on both of the hosts. So my, you know, my ability to dig into the issue and actually visualize and see performance data is limited. Yep. And sure, I could, I could go and hassle with the firewall on the host and I could use some sort of remote tool to, to look at them, but... I fired up Windows Admin Center. I said, go to this host. Oh, let me look at these storage NICs. And, you know, I, I was able to visually see the performance, you know, over time. And, I mean, it was actually a really nice tool for troubleshooting that particular issue. So, I, you know, long story short, I really think that is a great tool. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, of other great things about it as well. So, but, yeah, if I had to yep. pick one thing, that would be it. Yep. Moving on to Azure then. Sure. Any Azure announcements? I think the big one that I saw a lot of jaws on the floor from was Ultra SSD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, historically, you think about um, our storage performance in Azure. You know, yep. each, each tier of, of disk has had its performance limitations, you know. Um, you know, 500 IOPS, 2,000 IOPS, depending yep. what level you were at. And, you know, for... 80 to 90% of workloads, that was fine, right? Yep. But then you have those, those outlier situations, those people that uh, they're running high-performance workloads or trying to run a high-performance workload in Azure, and you know, storage becomes an issue. Storage performance becomes an issue. Yep. So you know, I, was, uh, I was talking with a couple MVPs yesterday about this, and you know, I feel like in order to address the performance issue with, with storage in Azure, they had to bring it up you know, a little bit higher to, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. this level. Yep. And, you know, for the people just listening, you know, kind of imagine me raising my hand up into the air <laughs> a little bit. So I feel like they had to bring it to, you know, a certain level, but they went way, way up and over above it with Ultra SSD. Yeah. So the IOPS number that I've seen with Ultra SSD is, what, 160,000 IOPS. Yep. That's four zero. Four, four, one six and four zeros. I mean, that's a ridiculous amount of IOPS. Yep. So I was talking to Thomas Mauer, another MVP, and I was saying, I'm, I, I'm sitting there, I'm like trying to think, 
okay, what kind of workload could I build that would require <laughs> 160,000 SSDs yep. or SSD uh, <laughs> IOPS? Yep. And you know, I'm sure I could come up with something, but there wasn't anything that I could just pick out right yeah. then and there that would actually consume that and much. Now, now Alexander is thinking. Hard. Now, well, it, it kind of reminds me. You've been at this a while, so so have I, and. You remember when we had a lot of CPU power, we had a lot of memory, but oh, the yeah. disks were just so slow. 5,400 RPMs. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then out came the SSDs. Yeah. And boom, the equation was completely redrawn. We had more IOPS than we would ever need. Ever heard that before? <laughs> right. But the, the, um, the CPU power and, and the memory power was starting to drag behind. Right. And then came Azure. With had kind of the same issues because we had a lot of CPU power, we had a lot of memory, a lot of DTUs, and then no IOPS. Right. That's been sorted. So from a, a data platform perspective that I have, I am happy as a clam. I will no longer have to have this kind of discussion with my clients because we have the power. Right. We're going to make it work IOPS-wise. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I saw a thread on Twitter last night. Mm -hmm about how, I forget who started it, but the gist of the thread was about, you know, how the IT pros that are, you know, they have historically clung to their servers and said, you'll, you'll pry my cold, dead body off of my server before I let it go. Those people, I think, are starting to wave the white flag a little bit. Yep. You know, and that's what the, the whole Twitter thread was about. Yeah. You know, after the announcement of Ultra SSD, what else is left other than cost and trust to yeah. use the cloud over anything else, right? I mean, those are really, in my mind, those are the only two things left. And cost, that's an easy discussion because, I mean, yep. what it really comes down to is if you're not happy with the cost of a public cloud like Azure, you don't see the value in it, mm. you know? I mean, there's so much value in the agility, um, you know, the distribution, the geography, there's so much value in there that you can justify the dollar amount. But I think the bigger hurdle that I see on the cost discussion is the mental shift from an operational expenditure model, yep. you know, from a, sorry, from a, a capital expenditure model, yep. those large lump sum pur purchases that we've been doing for the last 20 years, and then moving now to a monthly you know, this yeah. is what I pay monthly. I, I see a lot of, maybe not so much IT pros having an issue with that mental shift, but, you know, like the, the department managers and the bean counters are like, whoa, you know, we used to pay once every five years. Why are we paying every month now? Yeah. And I think once that hurdle is, you know, jumped over, I think, you know, that's going to be one of the last big things. You know, they said, then I said trust was the other big thing, mm. you know, but... I think with uh, initiatives like the Open Data yep. Initiative that Microsoft announced uh, at the keynote yesterday with SAP and Adobe, I think things like that are going to help foster more trust in those, you know, those public consumable platforms. Yeah, I, I I think I'd like to add two more kind of issues. One yeah. is connectivity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Depending on where you are, it's it's still in most cases the internet that is the carrier. That's true. With the issues that are inherent in that, and the other one is the um, the legal side of things. <laughs> oh, and yes. that is a can of worm the size of Texas. We don't open that because yeah, that's, that's a bit of a mess. And especially, there's a funny thing in Sweden because each and every municipality and each and every, um, what was the word? County? Yes, county. Yeah. They can look at the, the law and interpret the law 
as they see fit, as in, uh, can we put stuff in the cloud or not? Right. And well, let's just say that that is not conducive to moving to the cloud. Right. Yeah, I could definitely see that. You know, here in the States, it's, it's one thing. I mean, as long as, you know, you are adhering to yep. things like HIPAA mm -hmm. and PCI, those industry regulations. And, I mean, we've got the Azure government cloud over yep. here for those really highly secure workloads. But, yeah, I know definitely in Europe there's a lot of different, uh, different laws, like GDPR, for example. Yeah. Um, I know there's countries like, um, like Germany, I know, that have very strict... Yep geographical laws and that that data has to reside within the geography of the country. And I think Microsoft, to address that, they've started building some Azure data center regions within those boundaries to yep. kind of help with that, but that certainly hasn't addressed all cases yet. True. Yeah. So yeah, and then yeah, the, the networking is a, another really good piece uh, of advice as well because, yeah, that's true. I think a lot of people forget about that, myself included at times. Um, you know, and I think back to some of the customers that I talk to at my, my role at Altera, because I do some pre-sales on occasion, and you know, I've talked to people in South America, yeah. you know, in, you know, like, uh, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and they're still using, uh, you know, ISDN or dial-up. I mean, like, really remote places. And yeah, definitely, that's, that's a situation where there's no way you're going to consume a public cloud, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think... Technologies like Azure Stack can help in that situation. Yes. But fiscally, that doesn't make sense for a lot of people yet because there is quite a large cost associated with that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely are some gap, you know, some areas, you know, some uh, some areas that still need to be filled in. But, um, you know, I guess I would say the the edges of that cloud map are kind of uh, starting to get filled in. You know what I mean? There's yeah. there's not too many places where, you know, I can definitively say the cloud makes no sense here that you know it's yeah. it's shrinking yeah. so and, and, and definitely like the the scenarios you were talking about with really disconnected areas there you have the intelligent edge instead right exactly which we received a number of improvements to yesterday we did we did um, um some really cool stuff there yeah would you like to talk about any of those yeah we can do that so um i think the one interesting thing was uh the data box yeah. announcements don't don't get him started. He's so happy. Yeah, he's really he's excited so about beautiful. the data box. Uh. <laughs> I want one. So so functionality wise, beautiful, or you just like to look at the box? Look, I'm look at the box. See, I don't yeah. care about see, yeah, it. Yeah, that's my thing. You know, the, <laughs> the original data yeah. box. Uh, the original data box looks really cool, right? Because yep. it's got the uh, you know, it's got that digital like barcode thing in the front. Yeah, I mean, it really looks Microsoft logo. <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's just a beautiful piece of equipment. True, but you know, a lot of IT pros are going to be like, well, what can it do for me, yeah. right? So um, that's been in public preview for a long time, right? Uh, yeah, since last year. I think, like, I think it's almost been two years now. Two I mean, years. it's been out there for okay. a while, yeah, and yeah. I know people have been using it. So you know, for those that aren't aware, the, the data box is basically uh, a mechanism for you to take large chunks of data and move it into Azure. They ship you this box, you know, you put all of your data on it, you ship it back, and it's all done in a secured, um, you know, insured and safe way. Because I know a lot of people get nervous when, okay, I just put all my data in a truck and yeah. there it goes, you know. But it's done in a secure manner. And uh, then they import it into your Azure subscription, basically. Mm. So now um, the big announcement we saw yesterday was there's a couple of new options in the data box line now. So... Um, I don't remember what the size limitation was on the original small 100 box. 100 terabytes. Was it 100 ter yeah. terabytes? Well, I know the, the new 
the the heavy. The I think heavy. it's I think it's really funny that they called it data box heavy because it actually weighs 500 pounds. Yeah, it's an <laughs> enormous. It's box. 500 pounds, Holy and I think it's so funny that marketing said, "Yeah, yeah, let's just call it the data box heavy." That's that seems good. And, and we had a discussion <laughs> yesterday around that and Falcon heavy. Oh yeah, yeah there you go. Oh so, yeah, because you guys, yeah, you guys were out at NASA yeah. earlier this week. Yeah. yeah. Relevant, uh, relevant discussion there. Exactly. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And so. the heavy is one petabyte, right? One petabyte, yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so simple. As you look at this thing, and, I mean, you can tell it's been designed for data centers. Yep. It's got wheels on it. You know, it's got a, a lift bar. I mean, you yep. could tell that they actually, let's wheel this thing in and see how we get it from point A to point B in the data center. But it's been thought out. And the other nice thing is... Um, all the ports are just readily accessible yep. on the back. You don't have to open it. Mm. You just pop in your cords and press the power button, and away you go. Yep. Now, the other uh, interesting announcement that I, I, I found to be the most interesting was um, Databox Edge. Yep. Now, that's a new option where um, it really reminds me of Store Simple. Yeah. It really reminds me of Store Simple, and they didn't give a whole lot of details on it yesterday. And maybe they had a breakout that I, I didn't manage to get to, yeah. so I need to I need to peel back the layers there a little bit yet and see what the differences are between that and Store Simple. But basically, the idea was you have a local on-premises repository where you can actively use it for file storage yeah. for applications or data or whatever, and that ultimately gets synced up into your Azure storage account. Now, um, you know, the other th interesting thing about that was um, there's also some IoT Edge functionalities yeah. baked into it as well, which I found really interesting. And I, I'd like Microsoft to talk a little bit more about that this week, hopefully, and kind of take some of the murkiness away from the, re the reason why those two functions are on the same box together. Yeah. And I, I, I suspect it has something to do with you know, maybe you want to use IoT edge processing to handle some of the data that's actually contained on that um, that data box edge device. Could that also be connected to the now preview feature of blob storage available for IoT edge devices? I I, I suspect that yep. that could be a case. Yeah, I don't know for a fact, but I could definitely see that being a use case. Yep. So I'm sure there's going to be some integrations there, and I mean, you know, historically, you look at Microsoft. They don't do anything just for no good reason. There's a reason why they've they've packaged them together. I think yep. they just need to give us a little bit more information and kind of, like I said, take the murkiness away um, and really zero in on what the use case is there. Yep. So you also do a bit of work with open source. I do. So if I go way back to the beginning of my career, and this often surprises a lot of people, I was Mr. Open Source and, you know, down with the big, bad, closed source software <laughs> developers. And then, you know, I wisened up about, you know, three, four, five years into my career. And I said to myself, when is the last time I actually touched a Linux box? Yep. And I could not answer the question. Well, let me rephrase that. Touched a Linux box that wasn't my own, yep. you know, and I couldn't answer that question. So um, that's when I went whole hog on Microsoft, yep. you know, I... Started looking into the software stack, got really good with Windows Server, um, you know, fell in love with Hyper-V, started evangelizing that. Um, and, and you uh, were very, very early with Hyper-V, right? Oh, yeah, uh, 2008 R2. And yeah. how was Hyper-V 
uh, back then? Well, I think when you look at Hyper-V back then, uh, everybody looked at it through the prism of, of VMware. Right. You know, because VMware, they were the first really big player to bring commoditized virtualization to the masses, right? And they mm -hmm. were very good at that, and they mm -hmm. still are very good at that. Um, but you look at, like, Hyper-V 2008 R2, and it was a good, solid product, but there were some gaps there compared to vSphere, you know, or, you know, um, they've rebranded that several <laughs> times. So, I, you know, I know it wasn't called vSphere. No, it was ESX, right? Yeah, it was ESX. So, pre-4.0, it, it yes. was called something different. I don't remember off the top of my head. GSX. GSX was back in the 2.0 days, uh, but 3 and up to <laughs> 4, I think. It was ESX, and then it went to ESXi, and then they branded the entire, yeah. the entire ecosystem as vSphere. So, <laughs> but you, you just had a moment, you two. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about to VMware versions that this is prior to me, me <laughs> being <laughs> born. Being born, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, GSX, boy, that takes me back. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, when, you know, so everybody looked at Hyper-V through that prism. Well, you know, there were some, there were some gaps in 2008 R2. Like, um, you know, for the longest time, if, you know, you had a snapshot, you had to power off the VM to roll yeah. the snapshot into the VM. I mean, there's some stuff like that that, you know, that Microsoft knew that they weren't there yet, but it was still early days for Hyper-V. Storage remotion. Exactly. Then you get into 2012 and 2012 R2, and then Microsoft just raised the bar. Yeah. I mean, they had immediately caught up to VMware and in some ways had surpassed VMware. And the question that I, I always got asked was, why would I pick Hyper-V over VMware? Mm. And my answer was, you know, don't fall into the, um, the, the hype of, you know, <laughs> people can get really zealous about their chosen hypervisor. And my advice has always been, you know, don't, don't fall into the whole VMware versus, versus Hyper-V debate. They're Run both... server. <laughs> Let's not get carried away oh. here. I, I mean, or it is in Send Server, and they changed the name as well. Yes, right. Uh, Sorry, no, no problem, no problem. <laughs> but I mean, both are good products. They are both really good at what they do. But at the end of the day, if you are a Microsoft shop and you wanna and you're invested in the Microsoft ecosystem, why would you not standardize as much in the Microsoft stack as you possibly can? The you know? Microsoft, the Microsoft stack. The Microsoft. Did I say Microsoft stack? I think you did. <laughs> Microsoft. That, that's a stack. much better <laughs> name for it. Microsoft stack. Uh huh. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday was a long day. <laughs> 15, I know. 16 hours. But anyway, you know that's always been my 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 advice. At the end of the day, whose ecosystem do you want to play in? Yep. You know. So um, so yeah, you know, I my previous job, I I actually managed a fairly sizable vSphere cluster, mm -hmm. but my, my heart was always with Hyper-V, you know, so I evangelized that and, you know, got involved with the MVP program and the rest is history, as they say. So going back to the original open source question, you know, so fast forward to the last couple of years, yep. it's been really interesting for me to see, you know, Microsoft starting to embrace open source as much as they have, because I remember a uh, video from a certain uh, previous Microsoft CEO <laughs> who I won't name, um, there, there, saying there that are so many, so. <laughs> right, saying that Linux is a cancer. That is obviously not the sentiment around here anymore. I mean, I even no. have a, la a sticker on my laptop that yep. says Microsoft Hearts Linux. Yep. And I mean, it's so true. I mean, you see Mike, uh, Microsoft is one of the uh, most active open source community co contributors today. Yep. Um, they recently purchased GitHub. 
um, and have, uh, you know, publicly said that they are committed to keeping it open and usable. Um, it's just all the open source uh, products that they're using. And one of their new uh, networking devices actually runs a dedicated network-focused Linux operating system that they've developed. Yeah. I mean... And you also have the Azure Sphere. Right. Which is Linux-based. Right. I mean, you think about that. That's the world we're living in today. And now, I can at any time go onto my Windows 10 desktop, I can go to the store, and I can say... Install Ubuntu, yep. install OpenSUSE, and with Windows Subsystem for Linux, now I can run all my Linux command line utilities, you know, right on my desktop. Yep. You know, I have OpenSSH on my desktop, baked into Windows 10, that instead of having to install a third-party tool, yep. I can use PowerShell to SSH directly into my, my Linux machines. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, there's some people out there who would think that hell has officially frozen over <laughs> that that's the world we're living in. So, you know, I, I guess in short, it's really interesting to me that we've, we're now in this place. And I've, I've gotten to a point now to where I'm kind of going back to some of my Linux roots and kind of getting involved in open source again. Um, you know, the OpenSUSE community specifically is kind of where yep. I've been focusing on lately. And um, it's been really fun. Yeah. I think it is actually time to uh, do yeah. an experiment. Uh-oh. So... We brought some Swedish candy. One is called Jungelvrål. Uh, and let's see if we can translate this. Uh, Scream of the Jungle. Scream of the yes. Jungle. It, it could be described as, uh, as somewhat salty. Okay. And then we brought Turkish peppers, which is Turkish pepper. And there is a reason there are three small um, flames oh, on this. It could be described as somewhat licorice-y. Ish. Ish. Yes. We, we <laughs> tried these on the audio techs. And depending on where they were from originally, uh, <laughs> they liked it or not. Yep. Okay. Interesting. So, which would you like to start with? Yeah, exactly. Which would you like to start with? Because you're going to do both. So... The flames concern me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm from the Midwest of the U.S. Mm. Our palate there is very... Um, Bland? Yeah, for lack of a better word. We like our, uh, our American hamburgers mm. and, you know, all the stuff that's bad for us there. So <laughs> I think from, from a tasting perspective, since I do quite a lot of whiskey tastings, you should start yes. with that. Yeah. I, do, I do like whiskey, so... Yep. That, that's going to clean your palate. Yep. So this is the... Taste of the jungle. The, the scream of the jungle. Scream of the jungle. Yep. <laughs> and both of these are really... Wow. That's... Um, <laughs> see, I just went for it, so... Yeah, you're good. That's um, different. That is a word for it, definitely. Somewhat salty. It is. It's very salty. Mm. No. And then you can chew on it for about a week. About a week. Yep. That's that's what one of the texts said. That dude, I I keep chewing and nothing's happening. Yeah, the saltiness goes away pretty fast. Though. It does. Yeah. yeah. So you're just stuck with a, a strange um, <laughs> chewy <laughs> sensation. It's not bad though. It's pretty decent. There yeah, you go. Both of these are like bestsellers in Sweden. Really? Yep. Yep. They, I I don't think neither of them is ever going to be found in the U.S. No. Um, you, you've started to import some licorice, but mm. not the, the salty or the, um, the um, 
peppery stuff. Mm. So, time for the other one. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. on a scale from one to ten, where ten would be the best thing ever, <laughs> what is your opinion of, of the scream of the jungle? And full disclosure, mm. this wasn't an, an original part of this podcast, but uh, it's become one, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'd have to go with a solid five, I think. A solid oh, five. Oh, oh yep, yep. that's actually higher than I expected. Yeah, yep. It's it's okay, but I could think of better things I'd probably eat instead. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Not that hard. Nope. Okay, we're going for the second one, the Turkish pepper. Now, should I finish chewing this for the week before I try the Turkish pepper? Well, you might. <laughs> or we actually have a, a trash can. Trash can. Uh, I'll just go for it here. Yeah. So not only are there three small flames uh-huh. on the package, the logo itself has a flame on it. Strange, right? And there's a picture of the candy on the wrapper that also has flames on it. Uh-huh. Animated and flames that appear to be um, somewhat real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of consistent, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. And... Um, on the back, it says, too hot to handle, question mark, and a picture of one of the uh, pieces of candy exploding. So, um, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little worried here. Yeah, and, and the flame on the front is actually the warning sign in Europe for highly flammable. <laughs> yep. So, have you done this with other, other podcast guests this week? We uh, Not with other guests, because we only had um, Tony on, mm-hmm. and he doesn't do candy. But we're going to try this. Oh, boy. So you said you that you tested this on the sound guys. Yes. Yep. They're Man. still they, alive. They alive. They're still alive. Yes. They're still walking around outside. Yep. Oh, they're walking. So I was yes. just making sure. Yes. You can be alive but laying on the ground writhing in pain, too, though. So, I mean, True. you know, I kind of wanted to get this, the, uh, the, you know, the lay of the land there. Yep. So Bring yeah. it. All right. There we go. You're right. It is very licorice Yep. That's true. And it's, it's kind of a, a hard... Um, Sensation as well. I was expecting like super hot. Well, it's not. It's not chilly hot. It's probably like a slow build, right? I would say yes. And there's a surprise in there. Oh boy! So you should chew it. I should chew it. So wait, is this like Pop Rocks? No, no, no. Definitely not Pop Rocks. They were actually banned in Sweden. Oh really? Yes, due to choking hazard. Ah. So you say there's a surprise. I'm I'm a little worried about the exploding picture on the back of the uh, of the wrapper. You should <laughs> bring it. Bring it. Yes, <laughs> I think this is actually going to be be heard on the recording as well. He he honestly looks quite scared. <laughs> For the first time ever, I think we've put Andy in a pickle. <laughs> I'm in a pickle, huh? Go for it. How bad is it? <laughs> You're about to find out. <laughs> it, it's a f- people eat those handfuls it, it of them. Ah, I, I there, it is. It. Yep. there it is. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's um, unique. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. but not too bad though. Not too bad. No, no. I. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It really clashes with the uh, <laughs> taste of the candy itself. Uh huh. Interesting. Oh, it's kind of sour too. Hmm. So, um, are we going to rate this one on a 10 scale, too? Yes, please. I think I'm going to give this one a... I think I'm going to give it a good, solid one. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. 
So a top tip, if you are forced to have any Swedish candy, you should go with the Scream of the Jungle. Scream of the Jungle, that's uh -huh. right. See, I'm even contemplating having another Scream of the Jungle oh, well, to deal go. with the fallout from the Turkish pepper. <laughs> There's a reason we brought the penguin. There's a reason for the penguin, other than just the coolness factor. No, the, the coolness. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, yep. I think we're pretty quickly running out of time. Yep. I think so. Right? It was awesome having you Oh, absolutely. Us. Thank you. A absolutely. very good discussion. And as, as always, I learned a ton. Yep. That's why I'm quiet. <laughs> it's always a good thing when I'm quiet. So yeah, We'll be back tomorrow. We uh, Yes, we will. Quarter past three. We'll be recording the last episode from, from this booth. Yes. At least. Uh, but certainly not the last episode or webcast or podcast from Ignite. No, we're scheduled to do two more interviews today. Yeah. And that's just the beginning. You guys yeah. got a busy busy week, it sounds like. Yeah, we're going to sleep on the plane home. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. yeah. So what's your plans for the rest of the week? Just well, um, I'm doing some interviews myself. So, um, you know, I talked to uh, Tara Raj, Taylor Brown, and uh, Ben Armstrong from yep. the that's virtualization cool. team yep. today. Yep. So that's I'm really excited about that. Um, got some more interviews tomorrow that I'm doing, but uh, otherwise, I'm going to be focusing on kind of walking around the expo, connecting with uh, vendors, you know, um, friends, and, uh, you know, other other contacts I have here at the conference. So, you know, at, when I used to come to these things, I used to focus on sessions, but the true value is in what I would call the quote-unquote hallway sessions. Yes. You know, that's where the true value is. And what I do is I, you know, go and I, I look at the uh, the session lineup, Thursday night, Friday before I leave, grab a few sessions that I'm interested in, and then watch them on the flight home. Yep. So cool. Well, great. appreciate you guys having me. It was uh, great being on, and uh, it's our pleasure. Yeah, I think it's it. going to happen again. <laughs> I'm game for that. I'm we okay. have more candy. <laughs> well, if I see anything with flames and explosions on it, I'm probably going to stay away from it this time. Well, and top on, tip. And, and on that bombshell. On that bombshell. Thank you very much for listening, and have a good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>